0: The fact cool. that John the Baptist was not a scene blew my mind. Yeah,
1: there's there's a reference in 1 Enoch chapter 51 about uh, people seeing the others and how God is forgiving them and repenting of their sins and then God showing mercy to them as well, those who repent. And that's the first mention anywhere in any Jewish writing before, you know, up to that point, you know, first century B.C., of uh, this idea that you could be forgiven by repenting, instead of repenting, separating from society, and following a bunch of rules. It's like, wow, that was a totally new teaching. Uh, Just as, and we didn't really get into this much, but that whole idea of the Son of Man, the only place that's in the Bible, as you know, is Daniel chapter seven, where Daniel sees one like a Son of Man at the right hand of the Ancient of Days, but he he doesn't do anything, he's given a kingdom that's never ending, but but in First Enoch, he actually has an eschatological role. He is the agent of God's judgment who punishes the sinful angels and the wicked kings and so on. And then Jesus confirms that with the way he describes the Son of Man in the New Testament. So when he's using that phrase, when he's at Caesarea Philippi at the base of Mount Hermon, the first question he asks his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? How would they know unless they'd read the book of First Enoch? Right. So, yeah, it's, it's astonishing, because that precedes the question that he asks Peter, who do you say that I am? Which, of course, is Peter's answer, well, you were the Messiah, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But again, he preceded that with who do people say the Son of Man is? And it's, it's probable that the Essenes who wrote that second section, the book of parables, got the title Son of Man from Daniel chapter seven, but they expanded on that. And again, I believe they did it under the influence of the Holy Spirit because Jesus confirmed it. Yes, as it was in the days of Noah, so it'll be at the coming of the Son of Man. That's right. <laughs> so yet yeah, we just sort of take for granted. Oh yeah, the Son of Man, where did that come from? It came from first Enoch and it oh came my from that section. It came from that section or the concept anyway, of what the Son of Man would do came from that section of First Enoch, which was completed, according to scholars, not just at the time of, Herod, just about the time Herod the Great passed away, but in that community overlooking the Sea of Galilee, you know, again, just at the time John and Jesus were being born. I mean, it's, it's, it's astonishing. It's like right in that exact right point. And all of that history, you know, the split between the Zadokite priesthood and the Enochians who believed that God had to directly intervene, and then the split between the Pharisees and the Essenes, and then the split amongst the Essenes, the group at Qumran and the group at the Sea of Galilee, all of that history leading up to the creation of this document that prepared the ground, it's like, hmm. Yeah, kind of like God had a plan.
0: <laughs> is it, it, would you say that this is the main thing that you're studying right now is you got a couple of
1: uh, irons in the fire? Well, that as a subset of the, um, the, re- the research we're doing into that region in the upper Galilee and Don, because you've got... Um, we had the opportunity when we went to Israel to spend a day with the archaeologist who's done the most recent excavation At Gilgal Rephaim and at that serpent shaped ridge that's just north of there. This uh, this is a ridge that they call a basalt flow, meaning it was like a big blob of lava that was ejected from one of the extinct volcanoes on the Golan Heights thousands and thousands of years ago. But it created this shape, three quarters of a mile long, 200 feet wide, that looks like a serpent. And it was clearly venerated or sacred probably 6,000 years ago because it's covered with megalithic funerary monuments, dolmens covered with rocks into uh, tumuli, and it's a quarter of a mile away from this 500-foot diameter structure called Gilgal Rephaim. So uh, wh- why was that there? And according to uh, Dr. Freakman, uh, Mike Freakman is the, is the archeologist, there was an older structure on the site of Gilgal Rephaim that was dismantled for the rocks to build Gilgal Rephaim. He estimates the, uh, the weight of the stones in there to about 66,000 tons. Uh, to compare uh, Stonehenge, it's got about 25,000 tons of stone. He estimates the amount of work it took to build this structure at about 400,000 workdays. In other words, an average workday for one guy, okay, 400,000, so if you had 1,000 guys, It would take 400, assuming no breaks, it would take them 400 days to build it. Probably took several years to construct this. Now, again, why do all of that work almost 6,000 years ago for this location and doing it right there a quarter of a mile from this serpent-shaped ridge that's three times longer, five times higher than the Great Serpent Mound in Ohio? Especially in the middle of a place called Bashan, which in the Ugaritic tongue would have been Bathan, which means literally place of the serpent. Mm.
0: And, and so what do you think was taking place there?
1: Something related to the cult of the dead, but also perhaps a, a serpent worship. Yeah, Dr. Freakman believes that the whole point of, the, um, of Dilgal Rephaim, where you can enter into a chamber inside the central core, Uh, The central core was about 20—well, as of now, it's still about 20 feet high. It was probably another six or eight feet taller. But, you know, earthquakes over the centuries have shaken some of the rocks around. Um, But you can go into the central core. You can fit maybe six or eight people inside there where a shaman or a priest would probably go and uh, try to commune with the spirits of the netherworld. This is a very old practice that I go into quite a bit in the second coming of Saturn— this idea that you had to summon spirits from the netherworld, like the, uh, the medium of Endor, summoning the spirit of uh, Samuel, where he rose up from the earth. This was a, an ancient practice that involved digging a ritual pit and uh, going down into this pit, sacrificing an animal, and then summoning spirits from the netherworld.
0: All right, so quick question for you. Do these... Are these still a thing today? Do people still do this to... Uh, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, the oh, evil yeah. Rockefellers, the Bohemian Grove. I mean, you know, oh. how does well, it correlate to
1: today? When we went there, uh, just to, just specifically at that location, in fact, when we went there on a Thursday with um, uh, Doug Van Dorn, who was the first one, by the way, to spot that serpent mound of Bashan. Got to give him credit where it's due. He's the author of the book Giants, Sons of the Gods. Um, we went in there on a Thursday with Dr. Mike Freakman, and there were votive candles On the walls, you know, stones on the walls, on the inside of Gilgal Rephaim. We came back with our tour group on Tuesday, and there were fresh candles. (sighs) Oh, my. Wow. So So they're not not accessing new sites. They're still accessing the old. Yeah, (laughs) new sites, but they're still using the old ones, too. I mean, just look at the uh, stuff that happens on the solstices and the equinoxes at... uh, at uh, Stonehenge, but the same kind of thing is going on to a lesser degree at Gilgal Rephaim. There are no paved roads that go to Gilgal Rephaim and it's only three miles from the border with Syria, so it's not quite as, uh, uh, as popular a tourist destination. But um, yeah, this kind of thing is definitely still going on. I mean, you know, we just look at uh, Ronald Reagan and how his, his calendar of appointments was set by Nancy Reagan in consultation with her astrologer, Gene Dixon, who by the way, was uh, her personal assistant, Jean Dixon's personal assistant was Colonel Bob McGinnis's mother.
0: Yeah. Okay, let, break this down for me. <laughs> why would she do
1: that? Just make it as simple as possible. I we know the answer, but why? Because she believed that the stars, the movement of the planets in the sky control our destiny. And I think that was one of the, that was one of the uh, points of my book, The Second Coming of Saturn, that we had that great conjunction on the winter solstice of 2020 where Jupiter and Saturn met within one degree of each other at zero degrees of the constellation Aquarius. There were people who believed that that was the official final entry into the age of Aquarius and that Jupiter, the king of the Pantheon in the time of, uh, in the first century, you know, the Roman, uh, the head of the Roman Pantheon was handing the, uh, the crown back, the scepter back to his father, Saturn, who was being allowed out of the, uh, a lot of, uh, out of the abyss. Uh, I think that there are a lot of uh, very powerful, wealthy people who see this as the dawning of a new age and they're working to make that a reality. I don't think it's a coincidence that one month after that great conjunction, the World Economic Forum officially announced its Great Reset. Okay, agenda. I literally, so
0: whenever you said that, whenever you said there are, the people believe that they were entering into a new age, I thought to myself, yeah, a whole new Great Reset of an mm-hmm. age. Yep,
1: yep, that's exactly it. So uh, w- we as Christians understand that our fates have nothing to do with the movement of the lights in the sky at night. I mean, the, the, the conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter was cool. I mean, we've got very dark skies here in the Ozarks, so it was really neat to see those two bright points in the sky close together. But there are people who believe that it really is significant. There are those astrologers who believe in the, the older uh, form of astrology, their older uh, system that uh, called it the great mutation. And that, again, it was the inauguration of a new age. And uh, like I said, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the great reset was officially announced by the World Economic Forum shortly thereafter. We, and it doesn't have anything to do with us as Christians. And
0: don't write me off as a heretic, but <laughs> it, it still yeah. would seem that uh, it's real in the sense of, the demonic world has nothing to do with, you know, we shouldn't touch it with a hundred foot pole, but it seems real still. I mean, things, things happen, things move, things shift in the demonic world at these times. Is that just coincidence? What are your thoughts? No, I think absolutely
1: it's it's, uh, true. I I think we can be a little too um, concerned or worried about, you know, opening portals As the late Dr. Michael Heiser pointed out, in in the context of talking about uh, L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Dianetics, and um, Jack Parsons, who was an occultist, a devotee, an acolyte of Aleister Crowley, and their Babylon working in the desert in 1948. Um, As as Mike pointed out, if these spirits, the principalities and powers, are so uh, weak that they have to depend on a couple of perverts doing these <laughs> the, the, these uh, uh, really uh, per- perverse uh, sex rites in the desert to give them permission to enter our time-space domain, then they're pretty lame. But I think what we're seeing is the result of more and more people giving access or giving permission to these spirits to access them. I think if you want to give permission to the demonic realm to work through you almost any text can be a magical working. You know, I think if you read the New York City phone directory with the idea that you're opening yourself up to the spirit realm, I think it'll work. So what we're seeing in our society as things change so rapidly, uh, you know, the definition of what it means to be a man or a woman, I think that speaks to the spirits operating behind the scenes and the willingness of more and more people to give them influence, to give those spirits influence in their lives. Um, We believe, Sharon and me, that the uh, ancient spirit known to the Sumerians as Inanna, to the Babylonians as Ishtar in the Bible, Astarte, who's really the first gender fluid entity on earth. We think she is the woman who rides the beast in Revelation 17. And her influence is clearly growing in our world as we see, um, you know, men now breaking all kinds of women's athletic records because none dare say no to Inanna. When you read the history of Inanna and how she was perceived by the ancient Mesopotamians, she was violent as could be. Um, she was not just the, uh, the spirit of carnal sexuality she was also the spirit of mindless violence mm. so she
0: so she uh, she was involved in a lot of mostly
1: peaceful protests <laughs> 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 well yeah uh, there may, and and there seems to be some some indication that she and the spirit of chaos are are at least allied i think she sees herself and, and we believe, by the way, the spirit of chaos is the spirit that will indwell the human that we will call the Antichrist, that the beast in Revelation who emerges from the sea, the seven headed chimera that comes out of the sea in Revelation 13, called the beast. Uh, we believe that is the spirit of chaos. That is Leviathan. And um, she thinks she is going to use chaos for her own ends. But of course, we know prophetically that she will be destroyed by the 10 kings who are serving the Antichrist and both of the and, and likewise in turn serving Satan, who is the uh, the king of this uh, end times rebellion here on Earth, and trying to overthrow the uh, the rightful ruler of Earth, who is of course God Himself.
0: Amen. Mm-hmm. That's good. We're taking too much of your time. Do you have anything else you want to? <laughs> oh no, i <I'm>, <laughs> Derek, you Derek, you're an awesome individual. Hello. I appreciate well, you. Well,
1: no, happy to happy to do this, and, and just excited to share the uh, the research that we've got and. Uh, you know, it's it's it is a blessing and a joy to do. Yeah, this. that's really fascinating. Well please stuff. come and back. Yeah. It's yeah, always good it, talking with you. <laughs> likewise.
0: Good. Well thanks a lot, Derek. You take care, okay? You too. All right.
1: God bless you guys. Yeah, See, I you. Nice